Amen. You can be seated. Grab your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 6. We, this morning, will continue looking at the book of Exodus. We'll ultimately go through the first 20 chapters. And we've been looking at this a chapter at a time, not necessarily taking the breaks where they would come, but that's how uh, we've mapped this out together, Pastor Alex and I, so we'll look at Exodus chapter 6 this morning. Before we do that, though, we have some uh, church life news to share. Andy and Maddie Vanderhurst are with child. Yes. Indeed. So we are, we are thrilled for them and want you to be in prayer for them. Along with that note, pray for Don Sluka, who will be delivering in a couple of weeks. We're thrilled for them as well. And shortly thereafter, we'll come for Chrissy Loganow, will be delivering. So to my knowledge... That is all the known pregnancies, okay? So, so if you're pregnant, Why are you looking over here? and we need to know about that, yeah, yeah. it's pretty typical if Alex and Bethany get a date, and they've, it's a solo date together, that they're, they're coming home eventually pregnant with another child, and so um, I, I do know that they recently had a date, so I'll just say that, I'll just, I'll just leave that at that. I can assure you, Valerie and I having three boys, we will not be working to get three girls. <laughs> Those times are certainly past. All right, thankful for you folks, and thank you for the church. Such a sweet group of people, and a real blessing to be able to preach to. Um, the fact that you've tolerated listening to me for 27 years is, is pretty, pretty significant. <laughs> and, and we want you to know that it's, it's with great appreciation on our part as pastors and elders. So let, let's, let's join into this section. I want to read Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Now please jump down with me to verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, and this Moses and this Aaron, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, and the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account of history that you have left for us. So many outworkings of the work of salvation is found here. We thank you, Lord, for your deliverance of God's people because you always are faithful to what you promise. And Lord, that you'll see that faithfulness of our salvation to the end. We give you thanks for this because we know our salvation was accomplished in and through the Lord Jesus by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. We have been saved from our sin. Build your church this morning in this truth. Awaken dead hearts to Jesus this morning that have yet to believe the gospel. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Exodus teaches us a great deal about the real God. We've noted this along the way when we were going through the book of Genesis that in the book of Genesis, largely God has seen as creator in the book of Exodus, though, we get to know more about this God who is revealing himself to his people and reveals himself to his prophet, Moses. 
God we have found here is distinctly holy. This morning we're going to see that God is almighty. God certainly rules over all of his creation. God is a jealous God and a jealous God for his people. God is a God who does not share his glory with anyone. Our God is a God who does punish sin. God is merciful, though, and compassionate to those who are helpless and hopeless. And He saves those who cry out to Him. You'll recall this last week. Pastor Alex drew our attention back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. And, and told us about two groups. There are two groups of people. There are two groups of people that came into existence when sin entered into the world. And there are but two groups of people which remain to this day. And in the promise of the Christ, the Messiah, the one would come from the seed of the woman that he would crush and ultimately have victory over the seed of the serpent. Pastor Alex then skillfully walked us through the demonstrations of that from Cain and Abel and moved us forward in understanding uh, the story of redemption. What I want to draw our attention to before we dive into the text in Exodus chapter 6 is what group do you belong to now? Which group do you identify with? The seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent? And I really want to put this in place now and draw our attention to it because if you belong to the seed of the serpent, Exodus chapter 6 is really not going to make much sense to you because Exodus chapter 6 is identified specifically to God's people. And that's going to spend most of our time as we look at Exodus chapter 6. But I think it's very important that all of us in here ask ourselves the question, to which group of people do we belong? Here's the reason why for this. We will all face God one day. Every last one of us every person that has ever been born, ultimately on the last day, we will all face Jesus. And in that judgment, we will face Jesus, who is Lord. We will face him as a judge, or we will face him as a savior. And so the question this morning that you really want to ask yourself is, who's your God? Who do you follow? Who do you believe in? Because that date is secure. There's no delay to it. God, who is the one that gives life, knows the appointed time. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that it is appointed unto humanity or man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Each of us will stand on our own before our God and what's at stake is, is your own eternity. 
You won't stand there with your spouse. You won't stand there with your grandparents or your parents, your brother or your sister. You're literally going to stand there on your own. And so because that is true, it begs the question for all of us, what's my responsibility before this God who is holy, this God who is creator, this God who will and does punish sin, this God yet, though, who is merciful and compassionate to save those who will call upon him. Your responsibility is to understand this, that God is holy. His holiness is that he will not accept even one sin. That's how perfectly holy is our God. And that would certainly be bad enough news if the gospel story were to stop there. Because I think it's pretty clear that all of us would be honest enough to say, even for those who don't read the Bible, that, that they're a sinner. That they don't measure up. I've never met a person in my life that didn't say they were a sinner. But even if there is someone who didn't say they were a sinner, they would probably even admit they don't measure up to their own standards that they set for themselves. The bottom line is, we are all sinners. And we will all stand before a God who is holy. So the question becomes, how will God or how does God accept me? And this is where the gospel is such good news. Because your eternity is at stake. Scripture tells us when we were studying the book of Mark that, Je that Jesus, in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, He opened up His ministry and called on people to repent and to believe the gospel. We're called upon to repent and believe the gospel. This is your sole responsibility before God if you're going to have a right relationship with God. So what does it mean initially to repent? It's to acknowledge that you are indeed a sinner and that your sin has come against a God who is perfectly holy. And that the only way in that acknowledgement is to turn and apprehend the only mercy that's, that's found in God, which is offered through the person of Jesus Christ. In the understanding of your own sin, you need to know that in Christ, God saves. And He will save you if you'll call upon Him. Belief in the New Testament encompasses three things. And they're three very important things if you're going to Believe the gospel. The first thing is knowledge. You need the biblical knowledge that God is in fact holy, as the scripture teach Him to be, and that you are in fact sinful. And that Christ alone is the only one that can bridge your relationship between, between you and God. You must believe that the Bible teaches that. Now, not only should you have that knowledge, but you need to give a mental assent or believe that those things are true. So you need the knowledge of the components of the gospel. 
you need to assent in your mind that those things are true and then genuine faith encompasses a trusting in Christ alone to save you. Because Christ alone is the only one that can save you. And that there is no salvation apart from Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man could come to the Father but by me. Those words will be spoken on the day. On that last day when each one of us will stand before God to give an account for our own lives. And only coming through what God prescribes by the gospel will gain you acceptance for eternal life with God. And I trust and pray that no one will even leave here today without having believed upon Jesus in true repentant faith. Now having said that, I want to break down this text for you that we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 6. There's three movements that we're going to look at this morning as God promises this exodus that will take place and His salvation for His people. Alright, so there's three things. Number one is this, God is sovereign. God is sovereign and we'll look at this in verse 1. Then we'll move in verses 2 through 5 to see that God is sustainer. God is sovereign. God is sustainer. And then we'll move in the last section from verse 6 through the end of the chapter uh, to see that God is Savior. All right? So I see a, a number of you right, and I'll repeat those real quick. God is sovereign. God is sustainer. God is Savior. All right, let's look at the text. You'll recall last week when Pastor Alex left off, this circumstance was filled with a great deal of heaviness. It's a situation that if we were to look at it in face value, looked very dire. Chapter 5 really closes for us with, with Moses, the mediator of this covenant that he, God is making with his people, as why? Why God? Why are we in this circumstance? Look at verse 12 of chapter 6. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Moses is discouraged. Probably discouragement is too weak of a word to give it. But we'll just kind of say that for now as we look into this situation. He is discouraged. The people, God's people, are entirely despondent. Look with me at verse 9. Because when Moses went and spoke with them, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You'll recall when Pastor Alex preached last week 
that Moses had gone before Pharaoh and Pharaoh basically mocks Moses to say, who's your Lord that I shall obey him? I, I, I won't obey him. And they made, that is Pharaoh made the work that was on God's people even more difficult. It is an entirely dire circumstance. And I think it's easy for us to miss that if you've been in church any length of time because we read the story of the Exodus with full revelation. But that was not the circumstance that they find themselves in. It wasn't as if every day Moses is speaking to Yahweh. The Bible interjects and tells us when he does speak with him, but he still is a human being trying to live out what's going to take place. How is it that I am going to lead a group of people out of the greatest world-known power? And he goes into the palace and he confronts Pharaoh with the words that Yahweh gives him and he gets discouraged by what he hears. His circumstances begin to overwhelm him. Yahweh, when he comes back, Moses does to him, he then begins to reveal himself to him in a more strong way. This in Exodus chapter 6 is another shift where we're beginning to identify who exactly is Yahweh. And of course, we know from the burning bush where Yahweh says, I am, that ultimately this is Jesus of the New Testament. As this unfolds though here in chapter 6, he lets himself know, that is, Yahweh lets Moses know that he is strong. In fact, that I am sovereign. God is sovereign and I am in control of the entire circumstance. Moses, don't get overwhelmed at what you see. Don't get overwhelmed by the power that Pharaoh has. He's just a guy in a snake hat. And I'm about to change and flip the entire circumstance of my people. Yahweh is telling Moses that he is king and not Pharaoh. Listen to what he describes here in his sovereignty in verse 1. The Lord says to Moses this, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. And with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. We'll see this ultimately in the Exodus. When this is executed in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 through 33, you don't have to flip over there. Pharaoh is driving the people out. Pharaoh's people tell God's people to get out in haste. All the Egyptians do. But Scripture tells us clearly here this, that it is Yahweh who identifies to Moses, I'm going to tell you exactly how this is going to go down. And I'm going to use Pharaoh to push out my people and to do exactly why or, or what I say. And why is this true? Because God's sovereign. God is sovereign. 
You know, I, there, there's many people that believe, there's certainly people that doubt that God is sovereign. But even for Christians, there are many people that believe that God is sovereign, but to be honest, they live as emotional wrecks. Here's what we want to understand about His sovereignty, church. God not only saved you, but He's in control of your entire circumstance. Pastor Alex, again last week, called our attention to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says this, all things work together for good. God is in control, church, of your entire circumstance in life. And His purposes for that is to shape you to His Son's image. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. His purposes aren't to give you a big bank account. His purposes are not to give you a great job. His purposes aren't to give you a great career in any of these things. As a matter of fact, when you're evaluating what genuine Christianity is, you've got to evaluate it in light of, will this gospel hold up in Afghanistan? Will this gospel hold up in Iran? In all these people of uh, places in the world where Christianity is severely persecuting Christians. God is in control of our circumstance and His purposes for that are to shape us to His Son's image. And He will not stop at any of that until the day of the resurrection in Christ's return. And here's what this means for us as people. All of us are going to live out some very dark days in life. Some very difficult days. But here's what God wants us to know. He is entirely sovereign over your circumstance. Through your circumstances of difficulty, through your circumstances of struggle, discouragement, sadness, pain, and sorrow, God will walk you through the storm. This is what he's identifying to Moses. But Moses is dealing with this in real time and he's coming to understand who the real God is. Church, we want to understand that God is sovereign over your entire life. There may be things that happen in your life that you do not understand. There may be things that are happening in your life that you don't know what He's doing, but trust Christ. This is what God is telling, Yahweh is telling Moses to do. Trust me. In our case, we know this to be true because Jesus is enough and that God is in control of all of my circumstances. And nothing, nothing, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't come into my life outside of His good, gracious, and merciful hand. Even if I don't understand what in the world's going on. Even when life presses you into a corner where you're so overwhelmed you don't feel like you can pray. Know this, that our triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, have a hold of your life and He is shaping you 
into the image of Christ's Son. Because you belong to Him. Because you're of the seed of the woman. Secondly, this, as we move along in this, God is sustainer. This is an incredibly powerful section, verse 2 through 5. Yahweh begins in verse 2 and says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. That's what you see when you see the Lord in all caps. It's his covenant naming God. It's how God's people identify with God as Yahweh. God is sustainer. Four times in verses 2, 6, 7, and 8, he tells Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the covenant-keeping God. Here's one thing to remember when you see the word covenant in simplicity in the Bible. It means God's divine promise. It is His unbreakable promise of salvation. And here's what Yahweh does here. He speaks to Moses himself in verses 2 through 5. He's going to prop him up to let him know that he is his sustainer throughout the difficult process and that he's to go in verses 6 through 8 and speak to the people. And he gives a new revealing name to himself here in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. As God Almighty. God Almighty in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Um, El Shaddai is a word that really was unknown. But given its circumstance, whenever it's used in the Old Testament, um, it comes to mean that God is sufficient. That God's going to enter into a circumstance. When you see it say, God Almighty, He's going to enter into a circumstance and He's going to let God's people know, I am sufficient. I am more than enough to bring you through this difficulty. And so this is what El Shaddai came to be known as. God is sufficient. God is more than enough. Here, Yahweh is telling Moses, I am the Lord, I am sufficient, I am more than enough, I am going to defeat Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire. This fits well, of course, with the text because of the word covenant. And the word covenant, as I mentioned, is used two times here, which represents God's divine promise. Psalm 105 verse 8 tells us that God keeps covenant forever. He keeps it forever. God in keeping covenant and through the covenants is revealing to us us His unbreakable promise of salvation. He tells Moses here, I see their suffering. I know their fears. I know they look at their circumstance and they are entirely helpless. They see no hope, but now I am going to act as their merciful, compassionate 
God. Look with me at verse 4. This is what it, what it means when he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. What Yahweh was doing here in, in declaring this that I established with them, he's calling Moses back to the promise of covenant that God made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, God made this promise to Abraham and he even told them that they were going to go into bondage, God's people would, for 400 years. Yahweh is telling Moses to remind himself of my promises and then go and tell my people what I have promised. I am faithful and will bring it through because God's promises of course, are true. Yahweh is the one who is faithful. He is the one and the only one that can sustain them. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. And all of His promises ultimately rest on what He does. The only way here, as you look at this circumstance, for God's people to be delivered and to leave Egypt entirely rest on Yahweh Himself. This is why Scripture tells us without faith it's impossible to please Him. This is why, church, even when you're in the darkest days of your life and you don't understand what's going on and you don't have the answers to why you're particularly going through it, we must trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus because Jesus is interceding for us as our great high priest. He gives us the assurances of this in Scripture so that we won't become overwhelmed by life's circumstances and we will draw on the relationship that we have with Him. So what does this mean in a practical way for us as, as God's people? When, where, where Yahweh's telling Moses to recall my covenant promises, what does that mean? For us, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself in every circumstance of life. Weekly, give yourselves to the means of grace through the instruction of God's word and the sacraments, but preach the gospel every day to yourself and ask God to build your life in the gospel. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Paul will tell us that our lives is hid in Christ, in God. So number one, God is sovereign. He's in entire control of your life circumstance. Number two, God is sustainer. And we're to preach the gospel to ourselves. Let's go back to verse 6. Just look at the, the last one here. God is Savior. God is Savior. I want to read through it real, again, real quick. Verse 6. Now Moses is going to turn his attention. Yahweh's going to tell him, now I want you to go tell the people this. Okay? I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to, uh, to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment that we'll see in the coming weeks. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give, note this with me, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God is Savior. God alone saves. Here he gives him five things that are going to take place here. Five things. I'll bring you out. I'll deliver you. I will redeem you. I will be your God. And I'm going to give you a land. He's reiterating the promises that he made in the Abrahamic covenant. Once again, Yahweh is telling Moses specifically that salvation entirely rest upon me. That God sees their despair, as we mentioned from verse 9. He knows Moses' discouragement. Look again with me at verse 12. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel to go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. Man, he's discouraged. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? Now we already know this from past weeks, that Moses has identified himself to, to Yahweh. Man, I, I have trouble with speech. And he keeps contending with God to, to, to send someone else to his people. Ultimately, God gives him Aaron. And so undoubtedly, this lack of speaking skills, because he wants to be able to communicate this. He's basically letting him know, I, I don't measure up for this, God. I don't see myself as the leader. As a matter of fact, the, the phrase, uncircumcised lips, means I feel incapable because I'm morally unclean for this task. And so, once again, the Lord comes to Moses. And when you're looking at verse 13, and you jump down to verse 26 to 27, he is, he is tying them together to let them know, or Yahweh's going to let Moses know, you are the mediator of this covenant. So verse 13 is really tied to verse 26. And uh, of course, as you know, I, I skip verses 14 through 25, probably because those are a bunch of difficult names. But really, they're very significant truth here that we're going to talk about. Moses is the mediator of the covenant along with Aaron, who is his support. That is, Moses is going to represent Yahweh to his people. So you've got Yahweh, Moses, Israel, the people of God. A mediator, in essence, in simplicity, resolves the break between parties. God is going to save His people through the mediator, Moses. And so, when you're looking at this genealogy, and it's kind of interjected here, it almost seems a little puzzling. Like, why does this fit? Why is this put here? At first glance, you know, there's, there's probably a little uncertainty, 
But I think what's important here, at least the way I see this, is it's, God is tying the redemptive story to him. So when you're moving through all of the clans, and, and God's already told Moses, you're the one that's going to lead this, and I'm going to give you Aaron as a support, he is tying him as the representative of God's people. And if, if we were to go through these genealogies, it really ties the redemptive story back to Abraham. It's Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's third son is Levi in verse 16. And then Levi has Gershom. And Gershom has Amran in verse 17 and 20. And we've moved through that account in the book of Exodus. Amran has Aaron and Moses. What the Lord is doing here is He's letting Moses that this lineage of the one seed is linked. Now ultimately when you get to the New Testament, Abraham is tied to Moses, who's tied to David, who's tied to Jesus. So these genealogies there are for a purpose, and it's to, it's to let us know as God's people that God is going to fulfill what He has promised. Now when you look at this in the New Testament, Jesus is the mediator of the new and the final covenant. So as Moses represents God's people, there is a greater Moses that has come, and that, of course, is Jesus. In the Old Testament, God proclaimed it by the patriarchs and the prophets. And then he foreshadowed salvation through sacrifices and through ceremonies. But he fulfilled those things in the final covenant as God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of the covenants find their fulfillment alone in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect bridge to God and man. Jesus is the perfect representative between God who is holy and people who are sinful because Jesus is the only one who is truly God and truly man. Jesus is the mediator to the final covenant. Now what's beautiful, I think, about this text is he gives really four gospel terms here as we look back to this. He gives four gospel terms that as Moses was to go and to share with the people, Jesus has shared to his people. The first one is this. Let's go back to the text where he says this. Verse 6, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the, of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you. Four gospel words, delivered, redeemed, adopted, and an inheritance. Remember this, to God's people, um, he hears their cry, he lets them know, I'm going to bring you out of this distress I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you my people. I will be your God. And I'm going to give you a land. Those gospel truths are fulfilled for us in Jesus as our mediator. Christ has delivered us. 
He has rescued us from our sin. The bondage of sin is broke. We have been made freed to God. We're delivered. Secondly, we are redeemed. I believe in this text, it's the first time the word redeemed is used in the Bible. We as God's people are redeemed because of Christ. He has purchased us with His own shed blood and our lives are not our own. We belong to God. We are delivered. We are redeemed. I will be their God is found in adoption. God has adopted us into His family. He has done so in the accomplishments of who Christ is. He has brought us into His eternal family. We are adopted by God. And lastly, He's given us an inheritance. Turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. We're going to look at verse 43 through 45. The land that God promised to give Israel was fulfilled in this text. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as He had sworn to their fathers. That's the patriarchs. That's the promise God made to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all had come to pass. The greater fulfillment, church, for us is that God has given us an inheritance in Christ. And we will see the reward of that inheritance when He returns and He makes everything new in a new heaven and a new earth found in Revelation chapter 21. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can call Your, our Heavenly Father. We can call You our Heavenly Father because we, we belong to You because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And the Gospel has come to those of us who are a part of your church, and you have enabled us to recognize our sin and to receive and to believe upon Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Thus, we can call you our Heavenly Father. We're thankful that we can approach you because you've delivered us from our sin. We are a people that have been redeemed by the precious 
blood of your Son. You have adopted us into your family that will last forever. And you will give us an inheritance that will be seen in the new creation. These truths are real to us because you are a real God. They are already true and yet they're not yet until you return and we receive our glorified bodies. Build your people, we ask this morning, in these covenant gospel truths because dark days are ahead for all of us. And the only answer for sin and death in this life is your dear son, Jesus. We pray that all this morning will by faith receive him as their Savior this day. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.